Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 33 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And spring training is rolling. The Mets have played plenty of not maybe real games, but exhibition games. And it's been fun to watch the young players, the new players, and the old faces we're used to seeing. So we're going to talk about some of that today, Uh, some of the storylines that we're excited about some of the ones that we're a little concerned about as early as it is. And as always, we are going to answer your questions as we do on every episode of the That's So Mets podcast. So let's bring in my co-host, Joe. Joe, a couple games into spring training, about a week or so into spring training. How are we doing so far? Doing just as good as Edwin Diaz. Yeah, it's hey, stuff is nice. Stuff hey. is pretty. You know, it was kind of funny when Diaz came in on Tuesday's game because it was on SNY, it's felt weird. I said there's been a couple games, but it only it feels like there's been a couple because they're not all televised. And there's you get like these awful iPhone clips when the games aren't televised, <laughs> so it doesn't even feel like a real thing. Uh, we've barely got to see Lindor play at all uh, on SNY or anything like that. So, you know, it was funny when Diaz came in. Gary kind of had to remind... Uh, Keith and even Ronnie and really at the audience like because they posted his numbers on a graphic he was like this guy was you know after the Ozuna home run he, he really had a great season last year so I was like oh it's like he's speaking to Joe right now and I think the bullpen <laughs> as a whole has been a little bit of a roller coaster you know good and bad ways in spring in spring training so far but we're like I said we're going to talk about some things that we have our eye on, and I think the top thing we'll talk about, not to bring up a negative, but more just curiosity, is Carlos Carrasco. And I, I saw you raise the question on Twitter, Joe, and a lot of people respond to you like, don't be paranoid. You know, let's take it stride by stride. Some other people were like, it is a little bizarre. Carrasco, as of now, is not set to pitch in a spring, tra- spring training game. He's expected to throw bullpen sessions. Joe, number one, uh, is this normal for an older veteran pitcher? And, and two, is there any is there really any concern, real concern here for you know opening weekend, opening week of baseball? Uh, this is not common. I can't think of a time, and you know I'm sure there's going to be someone that's going to tweet me and say, "Joe, you idiot, don't you remember 2016 or whatever?" But I can't think of someone that was by all accounts healthy that just didn't pitch in spring training games and they built them up through live BP, which is my concern level high. Not yet. Cause they're still saying it has no impact on his readiness for opening day, all that. But I asked the question, why isn't he throwing in games? Why is he only throwing live BPs? Doesn't mean he's injured. You know, I'm, I'm not certainly trying to sound that alarm yet, but 
I'm I'm a little I'm a little worried. I mean, he was late to camp, but so was Taiwan Walker, and he got into a game today. So why why isn't Carlos Carrasco pitching in spring training games? Again, the results don't mm-hmm. matter. It's it's not like you know we care of what he what he how he performs in the spring training games. It's just odd to me that it's like almost like they're hiding him on the backfields, and I'm not quite sure why. So I'm I'm just bringing up the question. I think it's weird. I uh, don't, uh, again, I don't, I don't know that he's, you know, not 100% healthy or, or something's not right or there's concern for the opening series. By all accounts, they're saying that's not a concern, but I, I guess call me paranoid if you wish, but it's just weird to me. So I'm I'm asking the question, I mean, are, are we, should we be worried about Carrasco? And I think the answer is maybe. Um, and by the, by the responses that I've gotten to my tweet, it's obviously a mix of, you know, you're just being a paranoid Mets fan, which welcome to the world. That's the way it is. Um, and then people saying, you know, maybe it is weird. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how to take this, to be honest. It is a little different. I'm not there yet in terms of worry, just because, you know, I believe he was late because of additional medical screening, which is you know, pretty understandable for a guy that's battled what he has. Obviously, uh, I remember them saying that, of course, getting the vaccine was of importance to him before arriving, which is is great that he was able to get it, but it will take some time to kick in. I'm not going to pretend to be a medical expert, but just kind of relaying uh, logic here where, you know, he just might be on a different timeline. And he's a guy that is, you know, 33 and has had a ton of success in the big leagues for a decade where maybe the ramp-up just isn't the same as some of the other guys at this point. He knows his body, he knows his arm, he knows what he needs, and maybe that, you know, and even Rojas has said it, he's gonna, it won't make a difference for his readiness for, you know, obviously the opening series. This is someone that is, you know, we can work him, build him up this way. So I understand, Joe, there's always a reason to be skeptical with the Mets and medical issues. Um, you know, we'll just kind of have to keep an eye on this one. And I think we're all obviously very excited to watch Cookie Carrasco pitch in a Mets uniform. So there's part of that as well. So, um, you know, we do want to balance this with, you know, like I said, things we're curious about, things we're, we're concerned about, um, and things we're really excited about. I'll kick things off here, Joe, and I didn't even put this in our rundown, but something that I personally have been excited about, I, and it's just spring training. But it was not like this in last spring training before things shut down. I have noticed a different Pete Alonso so far in spring training. A guy that just looks way more comfortable at the plate. And maybe things will be different when big league games start. And I'm not saying Pete was bad last year. I just think he, you know, he never really got things going until that final week of the season where he hit, I think, five home runs. And that's who Pete is. Pete's always, even when Pete's struggling, Pete's still going to hit a ton of home runs. It's just the kind of power he has. But with Pete so far, it looks like he's just seeing the ball better. He's understanding, finally, that guys are going to stay away from him. I'm sure, I, I remember reading a stat that Pete sees as, you know, just horrible pitches in general. Out of all the, you know, top hitters in the game, he just doesn't get a lot of good pitches. Guys are going to stay away from him. Take your walks, right? There's nothing wrong with taking your walks. And just to see even the grand slam, uh, that opposite field power that Pete has, I I think that he will never admit it, but he is somebody more noticeably than other guys gets in his own head a little bit. 
I think he absolutely is somebody that feeds off of crowd energy, and that was lacking last year. I'm not going to, you know, go nuts yet with the optimism, but I, I am very excited to see Pete Alonzo this year and think if, if he's a guy that can lay off some of the bad stuff and take his walks, he is in for a monster year at the plate. Yeah, Pete looks locked in, and, you know, obviously he has a tendency to chase some pitches, and to your point, he needs to let those ones go. Don't feel like, like, I don't need Pete Alonso to hit 55 home runs. I don't need him to feel like he has to hit 55 home runs and be super aggressive. Just take care of bats, and he's so strong, he's going to hit 35 home runs without even trying to hit home runs. That's just the the natural power and strength that he has. So, yeah, no, Alonzo looks really sharp out the gate. Um, to me, a, a, a highlight is the catching position. I am really liking what I'm seeing from both James McCann and Tomas Nito. Uh, they have two catchers now that can really throw. I mean, they're both gunned out a couple, you know, guys trying to steal. Um, both look really good framing behind the plate. McCann looks like a natural catching the ball. So I, I think from, a, I mean, a lot of the other defensive Issues on this team are really shining through early on in spring, but the catcher position, all in all, I think I think it looks really strong with both McCann and Nito behind the plate. So defensively, that's a spot that maybe I'm a little more optimistic about. You know, again, it's early in spring training and a lot can happen, but through the initial run here of games, you know, I, I come away thinking the Mets are vastly improved defensively at catcher. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's rare for the Mets to be a team that no matter who is out there, they can control runners on the bases, right? And are really invested in catching a game, that calling a game, working with the pitchers. And if you listen to the interviews of all the pitchers, and they've done a good job of getting them mic'd up various times with Gelbs, obviously the ESPN broadcast whatever that was i mean good lord oh it's, god and, oh, and that reminder that's opening, that's opening day, day. yeah oh yeah it's opening day it is yeah we'll gloss over that but <laughs> i mean all the pitchers have, have referenced that you know mccann is just in their ear nonstop. he's trying to get to know all these guys he's, he's a new face and for nito uh you know nito is someone that I, I think that he's starting to make some real strides offensively but defensively that's always been what he you know he can throw and he's agile back there behind the plate and he just look he looks like an athletic catcher behind the plate so it's a big I'm with you it's a big positive that the Mets have kind of been this team for a long time that the majority of their you know catching um you know their starting catcher games you know Wilson Ramos obviously being a guy but for a long time now have been by offensive first players and, and now and you have a backup like Nito that was a defensive guy but now you have McCann who can give you some offensive punch but looks like he belongs behind the plate I think that's a really really exciting sign and, and something that this team and probably this staff has been very frustrated with for a, I mean think of the pitchers on this staff a lot of them don't know what it's like to really have that and we have even heard tricklings of Noah Syndergaard's frustrations of, of being caught by Wilson Ramos before yeah no there was pitchers that really didn't want to throw to Ramos they wanted they wanted Nito to play and Nito's bat 
you know, obviously is starting to come around. He had a really nice 2020 and he's off to a nice start in spring training. So hopefully he's, you know, taken a step forward offensively where he's not going to be kind of your vintage backup catcher that's good defensively, but won't hit a lick. So hopefully you you can find a little balance there with Nito. But I think McCann, his investment is really going to pay off where, like you said, he's in the ears of the pitchers. He wants to learn everything. He wants to work with them. Uh, I think he was mic'd up for Taiwan Walker's first bullpen session or Jeremy Hefner was, and he was staying next to him. But McCann was like, dude, I have no ego here. Tell me what you want to throw, how you want me to set up, where you want me to be, and I'll do it. He goes, there's no ego here. I just want you to be the best pitcher that you can be. And that's all you can ask for behind the plate is a guy that's willing to work with the pitchers and not just kind of be their own guy. Like, you should you should have the flexibility to know how DeGrom wants you to throw, how Cookie wants you to throw, Walker, Stroman, you name it, like Peterson, all these guys. Like, it's a, it's a lot of information to take in, but it's just a commitment to the craft is, hey, I, I'm going to do what is best for you and not so much just... Hey, I'll set up here and you have to execute. It's let's work together in unison to have the best possible success. Uh, those are some things that have obviously caught our eye in a good way. What's something so far that's jumped out to you, Joe, that you're sitting there going, ah, this might be a problem that trickles into real games? Defense almost almost everywhere else. <laughs> I mean, the, the well, we the, haven't seen a ton of Lindor on TV. Yeah, you haven't, you haven't seen much Lindor. Um, he plays when they're not on TV, which is really awesome. Uh, Nimmo made a n- what a sport. Nimmo, yeah, Nimmo made a diving catch the other day. So hopefully, him if he plays a little deeper, maybe that'll help him because he can come in on balls. Okay, Almora too, really yeah, nice Al- grab. Almora looks good out there. Um, McNeil does not look comfortable at third, so I shouldn't know they talk. Yeah, he just shouldn't play there. He should just play second base, get VR more work at third base, and I mean. Defense, uh, a lot, uh, Jose Martinez, before he got injured, couldn't move at first base. Um, we haven't really seen Dom Smith in left field, which I think is kind of peculiar. If he's going to be playing a lot of left field, why isn't he getting reps in games? So that's a little peculiar. He's been DHing pretty much since he since he's come in. Um, and then you had that Drew Ferguson guy, like misplay a line drive and dive. and uh, Like literally a, a, at times it looks like Little League out there. And... It worries me that that's going to carry over into the season. And JD doesn't look doesn't look right at third base again. I know everyone talks about him working to improve and working with uh, Francisco Lindor, and he still just doesn't look right. Like it, you're going to have to at some point have the conversation of how much are we going to play Luis Guillorme over JD Davis for his because he Luis Guillorme is probably the best defensive player the Mets have. And that's with all due respect to Francisco Lindor. I think Guillaume is the best defensive player on the Mets roster. And he's he raked in 2020 and he's raking in the spring. Like, I think you're going to have to work hard to find at-bats for Guillaume, which provide Maybe provide, you don't have to work that hard. Maybe. I mean, but then you have VR. So, like, you, you have some guys that you have to work in and out of the lineup, but I want to see more and more of Luis Guillorme, that's for sure. I'm with you all the way. I, you know, I know he only had a little under 70 plate appearances last year. You know, hits 333, gets on base almost half the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, listen, he's never going to be 
a home run hitter. He's a weird player that for as great as he is defensively and appears to have really, really figured it out in terms of making contact at the plate, he's not a fast guy. So he's a strange player in today's game where he's an amazing glove. Uh, it really anywhere in the infield, but obviously third base is where he, he fits for this Mets team. But if he can even become this effective get-on-base kind of slap hitter or contact hitter, I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I like Yorme a lot. It's it's almost like we kind of, with all of the, the Mets overhauling their bench and so much of their 40-man roster, he's almost the forgotten man. And he's only 26 years old. I mean, he's not just like some old late bloomer or like some long lifer on the bench like there's still development here with Guillaume and I just even him being a capable bat to come in to replace JD in games is so vital because like we've emphasized before you're not getting anything defensively from VR you're not obviously it doesn't look like you're going to get much from JD I mean, uh, it just seems like by default when the Mets are winning in what the seventh inning, I think you got to get Guillaume in there. Yeah, no, for sure. I know we talked about we talked about defensive replacements, right? Like, all right, do you take Nimmo out, put Almora in, and things like that, and th- those all make tons of sense. But I think we sort of glossed over third base a little bit, and if like you said, if Guillaume's bat is not you know, an automatic out or rough, like rough at the plate, like he was prior to 2020, then I, I'm looking at it like I don't even need to wait until the seventh or eighth inning. Like I'll, I'll when I double switch out you. my double switch my starter out in the fifth or sixth, throw Guillerme in there because I'm not worried if he gets in at bat or two um, to to have that defense. So it's going to be an interesting interesting year at third base because it seems like the Mets are trying everything except like J.D. Davis, right? Like Jonathan VR really hasn't played much third base, but they're like, play some third here. You know, McNeil play some third. Guillaume play some third. So, you know, it, it seems like they've been trying to find a way to not play J.D. Davis every day since the offseason. And, you know, he he may he may end up losing a ton of at-bats this year because the, Met, the Mets could say, look, we're defensively challenged elsewhere. Let's Let's put a glove at third. Mm, uh, yeah, it would not shock me if they just get really, really funky with their base and you're seeing a, you know, almost a trifecta of a platoon, right? Where, yeah. and, and if, unless JD comes out real hot with the bat, I love JD Davis. I love the energy he brings. I like the pop he brings. The pr- And on most teams, you find a way to get him in the lineup. The Mets are not most teams offensively. They're not, they got pop across the lineup where you don't really need to force him in there every day you would rather have the glove you'd rather have a little more contact and less strikeouts because just quite frankly we and joe and i had a long conversation about this either the last pot or the one before it you're getting your home runs from pete from conforto from lindor from you know what i mean and even mcneil and nimmo have some pop in those bats for guys that hit one and two I mean, there's some pop at the top of the lineup. McCann has some pop. I don't know. It's it's tough. It's a really tough situation where, you know, I, I really defer to Rojas of being able to handle that because it's not an easy thing to handle. 
And I think that at some point you're going to look at it and go, well, we know we're getting enough run production in this lineup, but the defense at some point is going to cost you a game here, cost you a game there. And it's just, you know, at that hot corner, it'll be very, very interesting. It almost feels like the inevitable unless they just get a a ridiculous surprise full-time from one of those three that the Mets will be making a lot of calls at the trade deadline for third baseman. Totally agree. Uh, third base is something to look ahead, at, whether it's the deadline or next offseason. I think third base as a whole that the Mets are going to be looking to get a new answer at. I mean, you have prospects. That's another thing. You know, we'll, we'll touch on them in a little bit with one of the questions, but you know, there's a couple prospects that are going to be in high A, so you might really only need to, you know, get a, rental. a yeah, get a guy for a year for next year. If you're not in on JD Davis at, at third base next year, you might just need to find some one year fill in to kind of bridge the gap between that and you know maybe one of the couple prospects that could handle third base. So, yeah, third base is going to be a. A real interesting thing for them to navigate this year. I think we have a clear picture of how they're going to handle center and left and things like that. I think that's I think that's pretty clear cut. Like late in games, you'll probably shift Nim over to left, take Dom out, throw Almora in center, and you know call it call it a day. But third base is an absolute mystery, and the Mets are trying a lot of things this spring at third. It seems like. You know, obviously a minor league deal, but Brandon Drury got to start at third base today. So, yeah, and they, oh, and can't even forget, they're supposedly, like, in on Michael Franco, who's still a free agent. So, obviously third base is something that we need to keep our eye on going forward. And and I think, you know, getting away from the current situation, because this podcast will have a very heavy emphasis on the future of this team. I think it's... One of the unique things about our podcast is that Joe covers the Mets, you know, minor league system and the MLB draft closer than anybody you can find on on social media, writing for SMY, anything like that. I I guess because I had zero expectations, Joe, like literally I didn't think they would even get a hit because they're young. They didn't get to play a season last year. I am blown away by Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio. And not in a way where I'm looking at them like, oh, they're going to be stars or like anything like that. Number one with Beatty, completely lost the baby fat and is starting to have like a major leaguer's body and approach where it's like, oh, he doesn't look like this like chubby, you know, high school kid, older high school kid that's going to have to move to first or DH. Like he, he, I think he's impressive the way he's come into camp and obviously he's hit very well. Mauricio, another guy that I just thought would be so raw and really struggle with any kind of approach at the plate, and he looks phenomenal. He's not trying to hit a home run every time. He's taking the ball the other way, uh, clutch hitting, and I know these guys are very far away. I know they are going to need a full season, you know, whether it's down in a ball, double A, you know, and you're going to be covering that. It's something we will touch on on this show, even during the regular season. We will touch on what's going on in the minors. But what is, what have your thoughts been so far, Joe? What did you expect these guys to do coming into the big league camp, and what have you seen so far? I've been wildly impressed with the prospects uh, in big league camp. I wish I got to see Matt Allen 
thanks Nationals. It, like even though he gave up a couple runs, it still would have been really cool to watch him pitch. But I mean, apparently uh, he's throwing fireballs. Yeah, he's like he's, 19 years old and he's throwing what yeah. 95, 96. Yeah, yeah, he was hitting 97. So I mean, Matt That's Allen, nice. Matt Allen has super great stuff, of course. Uh, so hopefully we'll get to see him as the spring goes forward. But to your point about Beatty and Mauricio, those two especially stick out. Mauricio looks like a different person. Like, I don't think, I don't know if, how much you were paying attention, you know, last spring to the minor leaguers in camp and Mauricio. And he kind of like, he got borrowed from the minor league side a lot. So he wasn't like a true invite per se to spring training, but he has to have put on 20 pounds at least. Like he looks like a different person uh, his, his approach looks very comfortable at the plate. You're seeing him, you know, he's not hitting the ball with great authority, but he's hitting the other way, u- utilizing the gaps. Yeah, I, I think you have to be satisfied with that. And want to give a little love to Pete Crow Armstrong, too, who he's never, he's never played professional baseball, like ever. He got drafted and there wasn't a minor league season. So he didn't have, he didn't get to go play in the Gulf Coast League for, you know, a month or two. He, he just did instructs and basically like scrimmage games with teammates. So his first baseball, professional baseball games are big league spring training games, facing guys way older than him, way higher levels of success than him. And granted, he's one for 10 or whatever. So like, he's not getting hits per se, but it was a triple. (laughs) Yeah. He had, he had a triple. And today, he hit a ball. When he hit that ball today, I thought it was halfway to three-quarters of the way up the berm. It was a shot. The wind pulled it back, and it ended up being a warning track flyout. So I'm impressed that his ability to hit the ball with authority, and I know that's something that was a question coming into you know this spring with Crow Armstrong was, how much power is this guy going to hit for? And not even necessarily like home runs per se, but like, is he a slap hitting leadoff guy? He looks like a guy that shows the ability to turn on a ball, hit it with a little more authority. So I, I think we may have underrated what what Pico Armstrong has in his bat. And Mark Vientos, of course, is, is another one that ha- he had a couple doubles yesterday, I believe, on Monday. And that wasn't televised, of course, but he had a couple doubles. And, you know, he's he's doing his thing, playing third and first and showing that his ability to consistently barrel the baseball up and hit it with some authority. So, yeah, the prospects, all in all, I, I don't know how you could complain. You're seeing, you know, the four four of the best prospects, and they're getting into the game almost every day, whether that's starting or late in game coming in. So you're seeing these guys, and I'm glad they're getting the reps because they obviously missed a lot last year. The last thing for me on the youngsters would be that you know, it's something you alluded to with, you know, a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong not even having a season last year after being drafted and just taking part in instructs. I think it really speaks to the preparation and in the type of players the Mets are drafting, right? Just guys that clearly, you know, you look at Mauricio. I mean, he's just he's growing at a rapid rate. He's like 19. He's already 6'3". He looks way too big to be at shortstop, uh, but he's moving well. He looks like he's really, really... Um, zoned in at the plate, you know, you see Pete Crow Armstrong fly around the bases. It almost looked like he could have scored on that triple. He could have been waved home. So, I mean, I just, I think it's just impressive. And I think it's a really good sign for their future, obviously. And I think it's something that, you know, we're obviously really, really 
excited about to just because the Mets have a really great clubhouse and obviously a lot of guys that are just incredibly hardworking and all jail together. And it seems like they're bringing in more young guys exactly like those guys. And before we get to your questions, Joe, I know you wanted to highlight a couple guys that are either competing for bullpen spots or are really looking to solidify their roles in the bullpen. What have you seen so far and who has it been? I bet I was excited by what Miguel Castro showed today. I mean, Miguel Castro is a guy that the Mets obviously traded for at the deadline last year. Wicked stuff. Yeah. Wicked, wicked stuff. I mean, he's a fastball. He's going to touch 100 miles an hour on the fastball. He has one of the best sliders in baseball. I think he was top five in whiff percentage amongst all pitchers last year on his slider. So he has a true swing and miss secondary pitch. What it comes down to for Castro is what he has to do is locate, 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 because he completely loses the strike zone from time to time, or he throws 98 miles an hour down the middle. And don't care if you throw 98. If you throw it down the middle, it's going to get crushed. So I, I was very excited to see how Castro threw today. He located both his pitches really well. And if you could get some consistency out of him as far as command and control, then you're looking at a guy that could be a serious factor in the bullpen this year. And then, of course, Drew Smith is another one who I think, you know, with the injury, obviously, to Seth Lugo and, and a couple other things going on there in the bullpen, he's looking like a, a guy with a real opportunity to make this team through, through a, you know, a scoreless inning today, up to 96, sec- second year off of Tommy John, which is a big thing. You know, last year, he, coming back from Tommy John, often it it's an adjustment to get back to where you really want to be. And, of course, he was shuffling between the alternate site and the big league team. And that's a little tougher than, you know, alternating between AAA and the big league team because you're going the alternate site and you're basically scrimmaging. You're not playing games. So he, he had a tough go of it last year, but I'm optimistic as he could be a guy that can make this big league pen and not only make it, maybe be, you know, a solid middle reliever contributor here. And, unfortunately... Sam McWilliams did not throw strikes today. Uh, he he ma- he managed he, no. he managed his way out of it. I'll give him a little love for that. He loaded the bases with three consecutive walks, which is bad, but managed to not give up any runs and get out of it. So a little love there, but no, McWilliams is he. I'm a McWilliams guy, but I think he's ticketed to be depth in Syracuse to start off the year. But with, with the bullpen, you're looking at you know a couple a couple guys with Castro and Smith that I think are. Maybe not being talked about as much in the whole bullpen picture because the focus is on, you know, Diaz, how's he going to be? Trevor May, how's he going to do, you know, kind of taking that Lugo role in a sense, like the number two reliever out of the pen. And then, of course, there's a big focus on how washed is Dylan Patances. How about Familia, who his stuff looked great. Another, his stuff looked great today, too. So, like, Familia has the velocity. He has the stuff. He just doesn't know where the hell the ball is going. So, like, if he could throw strikes, Familia could be effective. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a co- there's a couple things, I think, in the bullpen that are intriguing. So, yeah, I wanted to highlight Castro and Drew Smith. And, you know, maybe even, maybe even Tommy Hunter was okay, too. I mean, Familia wasn't a total nightmare last year. You know, when you talk about, I mean, he wasn't by any means great. And I think what scares you with Familia is... The K-9 is just so down. I mean, you're talking about somebody that in his real 
heydays with the Mets, and there was a time where Familia was just lights out, he's striking out almost 10 guys per nine innings. And last year, it's below eight. So I don't know what to think of it, Joe, to buy back. The good thing for the Mets is you don't really need to just throw it all on a, on a buying back into a Familia return to glory, right? Like, Lugo will be back early, and Trevor May was signed here for a reason. We're excited about Edwin Diaz. We think there's something there with Castro. And then, you know, you're going to have to ride some of these other arms. But I don't know. Familia is really an interesting one where if you could even get him to be like an average piece of the bullpen as a sixth inning kind of guy or, you know, a sometime seventh inning kind of guy, that would be a win. Yeah, definitely. And to me, he's like to your strikeout point. I think he's kind of remade himself into like a ground ball guy. Like he's just going, you know, sinker splitter, essentially slider here and there. He's not going up upstairs with the fastball and trying to, you know, strike guys out. I think he's kind of, he's trying the pitch more to contact and induce weak contact. So he's just got to locate. And like you said, he could be, if he could be a useful middle reliever, like it sucks that he makes $10 million, but if he could be a one more use- year. Yeah, if he could be a useful middle reliever for the last year of his deal, then you walk away like, all right, good, we, we got through the contract, and he didn't you know, completely kill us. So hope, hopefully there's something there. Betances, I have no hope for. I, I think he's just – It's think over. He sh- yeah, I think he's over. So um, we'll see. He's going to get an opportunity, obviously. But to me, I, I don't think – I don't expect anything from Betances at all. You know what, though? I'd rather kind of get it out of the way now then have this false hope, and you go into the year and, and guys that you're just putting out there are just getting shelled in big spots. Like, the Mets are going to have to be, you know, with Luco out, the Mets are going to, and they, fortunately they have the arms to do this, even coming off a weird pandemic year where innings limits and all that stuff is going to be fascinating to watch. But, like, you're going to have to ride DeGrom long into games. You're going to have to... You know, going back to Carrasco, you're going to need Carrasco to really step up. You're going to need Stroman to really step up, you, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, defense in the bullpen. The things that I know this podcast is really, really watching with this team. And speaking of that, let's get to some questions. The first one has to do with defense. This one is from Ethan Braun. Do you guys think the Mets misread the Jackie Bradley market, seeing that he signed a pretty fair deal? No. They didn't misread the market. The Mets would have signed Jackie Bradley Jr. if there was a DH. There's not a DH. They didn't sign him. I think it's, I really think it's that simple that, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum a little bit over the last, you know, month or so. They're not going to sit Nimmo, Dom Smith, or Pete Alonso on a regular basis. Thus, they couldn't sign Jackie Bradley Jr. for that type of money to be a part-time player. So the interesting part of that contract is that he has an opt-out after this year so i think we'll be having the mets jackie bradley conversation again next year mm, even at 31 huh well at 30 going into his 30 he'll turn 32 well he's going to be by far the best center fielder on the market so uh it's it's a very very poor center field market next winter and so if he opts out we get the dh in the new uh, collective bargaining agreement that'll be negotiated this offseason you know, I, I think you'll see the Mets right back in on Jackie Bradley next winter and maybe even actually sign him. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that he's probably, him and Boris, are probably not thrilled about that DH ruling because the Mets would have topped that deal easily. I'm not saying they would have blew it out of the water. 
Uh, but I think the Mets would have gave him, you know, probably even three years if it was, you know, this year with the DH. You feel comfortable about his role with the team and him being an everyday player. So in that kind of sense, it feels like everyone loses a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think they'll, it'll be something that this we'll be revisiting probably in November. So, all right, the next question is from Scott Kirk. How does the injury to Jose Martinez impact the rest of the roster? Joe, what do you think? Congratulations, Albert Almora Jr. You have made the opening day roster. Yeah, solidified like, his spot, right? Yeah, I, I think that's about it. Uh, there's obviously, like I mentioned earlier, some rumors about potentially having interest in Mike Franco. We'll see if anything comes to fruition there. Mets but, killer. Yeah, Mets killer, which automatically means he'll kill the Mets on the Mets in a bad way. <laughs> but Tradition like no other. Yeah, tradition like no other. But if, if they don't pursue someone like Franco, then I think ultimately it just means that Almora's locked into a spot, which if I were building a bench going into spring training, I would have had Jose Martinez in Syracuse and Almora on the bench anyway. So for me, no real change other than you lost that right-handed thump depth bat that you had in Jose Martinez. So, yeah, I think the bench you're looking at now, you know, Jonathan VR, Kevin Pillar, Luis Guillerme, Albert Almora, and Tomas Nito, of course. And I think that I think that's just your bench. I don't think there's really any competition for anything. I think that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's it takes a little bit of the juice though off the bench in terms of, you know, I don't want to say pop. I'm not saying Martinez is this massive home run hitter. Uh, but he's somebody that can give you a little more. He can give you some doubles and stuff. So I think it's on that side of things, it's, you know, it, I don't think it would hurt to sign Franco, but I, I get it if they're just kind of like, hey, this was an extra piece we're going to the year with that did not cost us much money. Uh, I can't wait for when he's the the trade deadline acquisition nod when he's back in what? It's going to be four months, I think. Yeah. So they'll be like, hey, don't forget, we're getting this guy back at, you know, <laughs> after the trade deadline. Tradi- another tradition like no other with the Mets. But uh, the last question uh, from Johnny STSN. How likely do you guys think it is that the Mets go six-man rotation when Thor comes back? I know teams are wary of the lack of innings everyone threw last year. If they do, would DeGrom still pitch every fifth day? That is a great question, and I know we're going to conclude this by saying it always works itself out. But yeah. let's get away from that answer, Joe, and let's assume everyone is healthy. How do you think the Mets manage Thor's return? Say it's the beginning of June. I th- I don't think they'll go to a straight six-man rotation because then you really aren't pitching DeGrom every fifth day. You're that, yeah, that's I, just not a thing yeah, when you have it, that level of an ace. Right. It's 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 difficult. So I think what you'd see is if all th- let's play the game that everything breaks right, everyone's healthy, happy, all that good stuff. I think you'd see David Peterson sent to Triple A. I think you'd see Noah Syndergaard in the rotation, and then I think they'd prioritize having someone like Joey Lucchese in the bullpen as a swing guy. So that way, if you need to, you know, cut Noah's innings one start or cut Stroman's innings one start, whatever, whoever. You know, you'll have Lucchese as kind of like a piggyback, which is something that, you know, you'll hear that term more when we start talking minor league baseball. They do that a lot in the minor leagues where you kind of piggyback. So like a starter will go three innings and then they bring in another guy for three innings and then they get to the regular bullpen, so to speak. So you might see some piggybacking in the big leagues. It's it's going to be interesting how 
how the whole innings dynamic works this year across the game, not not just the Mets. Uh, it's going to be interesting how they work it out because you had guys that opted out like Stroman, so he's coming off zero innings. Carrasco, obviously, coming off the short. Everyone's on shortened seasons. Uh, Syndergaard had Tommy John missed the year. So you're going to have to finagle the innings some way. I don't know if a straight six-man rotation is the answer, uh, but I think maybe at times there will be times maybe where you go, all right, we're gonna we're gonna skip Noah this time through, or we're gonna skip Stroman this time through, and you know Joey Lucchese gets a start, or Jordan Yamamoto gets a start, and you just you know you you work it out, and I think it's what it comes down to is just being flexible and pitchers also being honest with the coaching staff to say you know I could I could. I could use being skipped once. Like, it's okay to say that, in my eyes, at least. I know some people look at them as wimps or cowards or something, but, you know, if they say, look, I could use getting skipped one time through, then, all right, no problem. You know, you give them a break for a de- you know, for a, a couple days, and you pitch. That's why you built this depth to have guys like Lucchese and Yamamoto in the case of not only injury, but in the case of necessity for skipping guys and things like that because of innings limits. And everyone's such a case-by-case basis, right? When you look at, you know, somebody like DeGrom, he's just going to be like, hey, give me the ball every, you know, fifth day, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to want to throw. That's how DeGrom is built. I would imagine even Syndergaard, when he's back, just wants to pitch. I don't I don't really see Syndergaard as this guy. That, and the Mets will be careful with him because I do think the Mets want Syndergaard here long-term. Yeah. And then with Stroman where it's another guy where it's up in the air a little more. I think, you know, you let Stroman... Stroman is somebody that really, really knows his body, and he'll be the first one to tell you that, the way he trains, a very intense guy. It's another guy where you're going to trust him, right? But some of your younger guys, like Peterson, for example, you you might have more of a tailored plan of how you want to... approach his his really first full big league season so I, I think everybody's a little different and I think the Mets uh fortunately I I hope they have the right people there to handle that I, I think those kinds of hires are going really in the right direction and, and that kind of reminded me Joe is Trevor Bauer really going to get his wish about pitching like what was it every fourth day it was he wanted to somehow sneak in a couple extra starts do you know whatever happened with all that nonsense he, I think at his press conference, he said something to the effect of all all he really wanted was someone to be open to listening to his idea and, oh, you know, act, actually right. he, actually hear him out and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, we'll work together to, you know, do something that works for both me and the team, blah, blah, blah. And I can't stand him walking around with that stupid freaking camera microphone it's, thing. He's doing, his, he's doing his media session filming the media, filming him, like... Oh, my God. Nobody loves the sound of their own voice more than him. But I, I'll tell you, like, can you I, – I just get the vibe that a lot of the guys on the Mets would not vibe with that at all. I don't know. They're just – you even you listen to all the interviews. Like, I think Dom is, like, the cheeriest player in baseball. And the MLB should – and they're getting better at it. ESPN notices this. Like, you're getting better at, like – promoting Dom more because he's just every time he speaks he's like he's he's amazing and he's obviously a great player but even when you I I was watching an interview with Dom on MLB um, network and Dom right away was like I'm not happy with last year like we this is a failure if we don't make the postseason I've been in the big leagues a couple years I haven't played in the postseason doesn't matter what I do like 
there's a little bit more of a serious tone. And maybe it's because there's expectations. Maybe it's because there are some guys there that have big reputations that have come from different teams like Lindor, like Carrasco, like McCann. I don't know. You know, even Trevor May. It just feels like, you know, let's not forget, this is Stroman's first real full spring training or going into a full season with the Mets. I don't know. It just feels like there's a different intensity. And I'm not saying the Dodgers are going to have a a World Series hangover or anything like that. But I think the vibe is a little different when you're coming off a failed season and there's a lot of expectations on you in a big market versus just winning a World Series. And for Bauer, basically just had his own parade. He made his own free agency into his own parade. Uh, maybe it's just the fan in me that is is trying to look at it that way, but I, I think there's a different intensity with this Mets team, and it's very noticeable at spring training so far. Yeah, I, I am getting the bit of a vibe from just how everyone's talking. It's that everyone's super confident, everyone's super motivated, and I and I think they are taking you know the outside noise, which is positive about the Mets oddly enough everyone says they're going to win the division they're going to win 91 games 96 games all this stuff I think they're using that as kind of a motivational driving factor that look there are expectations here now this is not the same old Mets where you know let's get through the 162 games try as hard as I could and you know put up the numbers I put up the expectations are that the Mets are to be a contender right now and I think all, I think everyone on the team realizes it. So you're seeing a little bit of a more serious tone in a sense where they're still having fun, of course. Like you see Lindor having all the fun in the world. But like, I think, yeah, I really think they're driven by the expectations and saying, look, we have like the expectations are not only internal, they're now external. Because I think most teams have the expectation when they go into the season, like, look, we have to perform at our best. We need to be a contender, yada, yada. And, you know, the outside noise does ring into the clubhouse, whether you like it or not. So I, I think they're I think they're driven by it, to be honest. I don't think they're scared of it. I think they're ready to take it on head on. And the Mets, like, like I've said in past episodes, if they're able to stay healthy, the Mets can play with any team in baseball, in my eyes. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way, and it's exciting. So, all right. We've made the audience wait long enough, and Joe, I know you have absolutely personally um, dealt with a lot of the the buildup or the excitement, but also the responsibility to get this guest on the pod. So I want you to finally announce who next week's guest is going to be on the That's So Mets podcast. Yeah, certainly something I've been working on for a while, and we finally got it together, and Next week on the Joe's birthday episode of That's So Mets podcast, we will have a very, very special guest, the vice president of amateur and international scouting for the Mets, Mr. Tommy Tanis, will be joining us on the show. And we'll be able to go through his whole career, how all the drafts that the Mets have done. I mean, he, he's been in the scouting department essentially since Sandy's been here. So he's everyone that you've Sandy seen, round one. Yeah. Not Sandy round recently. one, correct. Yes, yeah, Sandy round one. So Tommy's a guy that every player you see that's homegrown on the roster, he had a hand in drafting that person and getting him into the organization. Uh, so to me, and I know a lot of people follow me for my prospect work, realize that, you know, 
Tommy's Tommy's a big get for the podcast. So I'm really excited to talk to him. Die, like I I want to get into you know some of the draft strategies that they've had the last few years. You know that when Brody was here, like the impact of the strategy that Brody you know Brody brought to the team. Will they implement that going forward? And, you know, we'll bring up maybe a couple of our crazy ideas for the future, like trading draft picks. What's he think of, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I, I'm super excited to have Tommy on the show. And, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun episode next week. I can't wait. I, I love talking to any evaluators in any industry, but especially, you know, to catch up with one that is at the top of the food chain in baseball will be such a cool experience. So, I, you know, and I, I like you said, look at the player players on this team right now that are already established as stars in baseball. It, Tommy was around when those guys were were kids coming up, you know, right? You had to make the decision if you want to draft them or not and see their development. So, if you're a fan of the Mets, the minor league system, scouting in any sport whether it's you know my work from stick to football and everything I, i'm currently doing a bleacher report or joe's work on smy i think this will be such a cool interview and a really unique opportunity and if you do a little google i mean it, these are these are the types of guys that really you don't see a lot of press a lot of big conversations yeah. around they're they're kept under wraps and you don't get to do a ton of media it's so oh yeah uh, i was just I was... a huge get for the show I was just going to say that huge get for the show. If you try to find Tommy's not out doing interviews here, you know, all over the place. Like this is going to be basically the only place you get exclusive one on like an exclusive one on one with Tommy. I mean, every draft he does the post draft press conference and, you know, does all that. But for a one on one extended interview, just talking about everything from his career and everything with the Mets and everything going forward. Uh, this is the place. I mean, this is the place you're going to find it. So really, really excited to have him on next week. And uh, yeah, let's let, we'll get some questions too. Maybe we'll take a question or two from from the fans here. You know, what what do you want to hear from Tommy Tanis? So I think it's I think it's going to be a fun one. And yeah, we've worked on it for a bit. And hopefully, this is the first of many cool and unique guests that we could have on. And yeah, can't can't wait for next week. All right, everyone. Well, I think that's enough closing thoughts for one show because we are going to get working towards delivering what we think will be one of the best episodes of the That's Some Mets podcast next week. Hopefully, you enjoyed this one, episode number 33 in the books, and we'll catch you next week. Now you can get McDonald's Crispy Chicken Sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich and or filet of fish any two for just six bucks sounds really good doesn't it Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. prices and participation may vary single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer